spelling of my last name is balls. They leave out the T. And uh, it's happened multiple times. Uh, so I, I saw that, that you got the T in there. So that's great. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the you important know. part, right? That's, I, that's the way it goes. You know, German <laughs> names don't necessarily roll off the tongue. You know what I mean? Uh, but what the heck? Uh, and, and this, this is a, a great time, time to introduce uh, the, the guest for episode four of the WTF Carbondale podcast. Uh, my, my most exciting guest to date for me personally, because well, I've never actually met this gentleman up until today when he called me or texted me after Ali introduced us and said, uh, I'd like to be on your podcast. And I said, uh, absolutely. Uh, so today in studio, we have Mike Baltz. Hello. <laughs> Here I am. How did you get to Carbondale, Mike Baltz? How did I get to Carbondale? Well, I grew up in Millstadt, Illinois. Millstadt. There you go. Very good. Which is near Belleville. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, I came to Carbondale the first time when I was about 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And I came and I stayed at... Now, so you're... Th- 31, I, am, I, I think 31. I remember that. You got it. You got it. And so uh, I came in, I came, when were you born? Uh, born in 1998. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> you were born in ni- 1998? Oh, sorry. 88. 1989. 89. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that was bad. So I came, <laughs> I came to Carbondale for a birthday party. Okay. A friend of mine from Millstock had a like they used to come down here and they had a pontoon boat and it seemed super exotic to me and uh we st- did it overnight at the holodome remember the holodome i sure don't you don't where was where was the holodome? it was on uh 13 it was right next to uh who who nans oh oh the yeah the old the, it was a holiday inn, inn, okay, but the it was rising a, in okay cool. but yeah, it, yeah, I know but it was about. a holodome back then okay and so uh, that was my first time to Carbondale. And then the second time to Carbondale was 25 years later. And in the spirit of, you know, how the wheel goes round and round, uh-huh, uh-huh. I had a job interview f- well, with the Nature Conservancy, and we had it at the Holodome. <laughs> we had it at the Holodome. It had been 25 years since I had been there. Um, so I came to Carbondale from Columbia, Missouri. Okay. With my wife and daughter. Um, so now you're, I, you're tying like another attachment of like you and Allie exactly. together now to Columbia, Missouri. Exactly. Thing. Anyway, sorry, don't mean to interject. And I wonder when she was there. I wonder if we we might have overlapped. Uh, um, so we came from Columbia, Missouri, uh, and I took a job uh, working for the Nature Conservancy. Mm-hmm. So my degree, my 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 last degree, I'm an overeducated person, but is <laughs> a PhD from the University of Missouri. In I studied birds. Okay, so I Is came that orn, ornithology. ornithology. Hey, 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 I got a vocabulary. Ornithology. Remember when Ali said fluvial geomorphology? Yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly. I'm cashing out on that. I'm I'm better with ornithology. The ornithology, you got that. So <laughs> it's the study of birds, and I mean, I'm not. I didn't get a degree technically in ornithology, but I studied birds. Yeah. So we came here in 2001. Um, to you know, I started my job with the Nature Conservancy. Nice. I can go. No, no. I mean, we. we oh, we're gonna go all sorts of directions, right. my friend. So I got enough. here in two thousand and one, and what I was thinking, you know, uh, when I had this whole hour to think about this podcast, <laughs> between when I reached out to you and you said, "Sure, I'm free tonight." Right. You know, I feel like I sort of missed the 
you know, I, I clearly I, I miss Carbondale and its party heyday because uh-huh. that might have been in the what that, eight, 80s or 90s. Yeah, I mean, really, you go you go back as far as like really like core 60s and 70s. Yeah, like I mean, there there has always been a proper like at every stage in Carbondale's expansion since the 1960s. Right, there's always been a party element to it. Like it's it's sure it's a, a very, college town, and it uh, while it has faded simply due to a lack of bodies, really up until you know late, yeah, really mid early 2010s, it still had a, that right solid because party like when was the the some of the most infamous Halloween parties? They yep. were like in the late yep. 90s. Or something? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not yeah. 99 was. I mean, like I think the, I just missed it. Yeah. I just missed the riot. <laughs> so we just missed the part, which is okay because I came here, you know, and I had a wife and a, and a child. And but you like to party? No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Forget them. No. So and I also sort of missed the music. You know, I, yeah. I, I get the impression that the music scene was also sort of on the decline mm-hmm. around that time. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I came to I got I caught the Bruce Weber years. Nice, right? Like so, the basketball team was was good. Are you a sports guy? I mean, you know, I mean, you're like a, you're like a, okay. So like the little bit that I could pick up on Facebook was that like you're a bodybuilder well, or something. Okay, so nobody look, wears that skimpy of an outfit if you're not like gunning for an award of some sort. <laughs> All right, that's like, <laughs> so. I re- so so everyone's gonna be flocking to my Facebook page now. That's but, what I'm um, looking for. They're gonna be like, Ooh. well, you know, here's the thing, Nathan. I'm this guy. I'm a kind of guy that I think is not uncommon in Carbondale, mm-hmm. which is I'm not just one thing. Yeah. And so I came to Carbondale, freshly minted PhD. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to save the world, which I still do. Um, and then about 10 years into that, I completely switched gears mm-hmm. to personal training, which, you know, we may or may not get into the why, but I did that sort of full time for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then I had a Jimmy Buffett dream. <laughs> I had a dream about Jimmy Buffett in 2016 uh-huh. and I started writing songs. And so for the last four years, I've been working with um, in addition to other things, Shaddy Frick, yeah, who's so, a local. You so know. The, the fun thing about this particular time slot right now was that uh, Shaddy was supposed to be my interview this evening, but he was like, "Hey, man, I got some other stuff come up. Really, I can't, I can't interview tonight. Can we push it out? So now you got to call Shaddy when we're all done with this, or be and be like, "Hey, Shaddy, guess who got your spot on the podcast tonight, dude? <laughs> what is this Monday? You know, we were yeah. gonna. He and I were gonna record tonight at seven. <laughs> Okay, cool. So he didn't double book us. Right, I was right, be a real right. Jealous date there for a second. Right. Wow. <laughs> so, anyways, I had this Jimmy Buffett dream, uh-huh. and I started writing songs. And so, in addition to whatever else I've been doing, which for the last two or three or four years has been a combination of personal training, conservation work, mm-hmm. and record singer songwriter. Yep. Um, and I've made, you know, I've made probably tens of dollars doing the singer songwriter thing. Congratulations. So, well, thank you. I'm really, I'm really proud in musician of, dollars. You're I'm really proud of that. I, sh- I whip out my, the, the first dollar, which is not far from the, <laughs> the most recent dollar. But, um, so, so yeah, um, that is, you know, so I missed the music scene, but you're trying to revive it, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's just one thing. Like, exactly. I, here's, here's the, I'm, I am a comedian stuck in a world of musicians who all think they're comedians. 
And so I, <laughs> by nature of simply participating in an entertainment, you know, right. industry, right. Um, peer group, whatever you may call it, right? It's, it's a mix of social scene and industry and, and everything kind of mixed together. I just I just have to do it. Like if I want to get on stage, right, and it's not a show of my own doing, and I want to like say things, I, yeah, I, I got to jump up and like MC for a show somewhere or, or something like that. Right. So like I'm and I, and I love it because you know ultimately it's nice to be around a bunch of other people that have a passion that you don't necessarily have, and you broaden your interests. Yes, and uh, yeah, and then at the same time it's like oh cool I can be looked at as. I'm I'm a unique outlier in the in the music world because there's a bunch of you know people who play guitars but there aren't a bunch of people who tell jokes running around exactly and them. you know so. like nobody comes to see the opening band anyways you know what I mean? <laughs> so like you might as well be telling jokes because that's right. different. <coughs> you asked me about if I'm a sports guy. I asked you if you're a sports guy. I did which sort of started that tangent. <laughs> I mean, <coughs> excuse me. I mean, don't go on me now, Mike. You I'm I know. My, where's my mask? <laughs> Let me take my temperature. Um, I mean, you know, like it's hard not to be a sports guy in a college town when yeah. the team's going good. Yeah. But, um, you know, my kids have played sports and I, you know, love watching them, but I'm not, you know, like I won't sit around on a nice Sunday afternoon and watch football. Yeah. Like I need to be outside doing, you stuff. got an earth to save. And it, yes, you so know what I mean? And that's tiresome work. Let, let's talk about that component to right. your life. So that that's another thing. Again, Allie, as she was just making a brief mention of like, Mike is this, 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 and this. One of the things that she threw out there was your work in environmentalism. Right. So like square one, how'd you even get into environmentalism to begin with? Right, right, right. Well, I remember this, Nathan, when I was <laughs> a world that wasn't 21 no. years old, uh -huh. plus or minus. Which was right about the time you were born. Nice. Uh, I was getting ready to graduate from college. And seriously, I remember thinking, how am I going to change the world mm -hmm. now? And um, I wasn't clear on that, but I had a degree in biology. Mm -hmm. And I was going to get a master's degree in environmental science. Like that was, you know, the next step for mm -hmm. me. And um, I uh, figured I was so, – so I, I loved – I went, I went to Illinois Wesleyan University, which actually there's a fair number of people potentially yeah. even around here. Like Kristen Bryant. Did you know Kristen Bryant? She's been a few years removed. Was she? A, yeah, yeah. So her sister, whose name I can't... Kara. Kristen's main name was Gregory, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so her... Uh, so, so Kristen's sister, Kara started teaching at CCHS like right around the time that I was like junior senior and she was like you know that young teacher who was really cool with yeah. a lot of my friends so my friends Carl and and Luke and several other folks like still real good connection there and then I sat with Kristen on the downtown advisory committee neither here nor there again we're just pulling out all these little connections right. that like this is Carbondale like but, how but cool. Kristen Kristen graduated from you uh Illinois Wesleyan mm -hmm. and maybe her sister did I'm not sure because sometimes that happens but anyways I had this undergraduate degree from biology and the problem when you're 21 is it's really hard to change the world because you're only 21 yeah you know you don't really know anything and you don't you're not really that useful to anybody <laughs> because you don't have any experience you kind have a lot of energy blunt instrument at best <laughs> yeah so so i went to uh miami of ohio mm -hmm. in oxford ohio which is always fun because you can tell people you went to oxford <laughs> you, you, know, you went to miami, miami university <laughs> so nobody knows where that is but um yeah. so i went there 
And I sort of figured out that I didn't want to work in an environmental con- for an environmental consulting firm. Like mm-hmm. that wasn't how I was going to change the world. Yeah. And sort of long story short, I ended up in the Bahamas for two, two years. Okay. And that was the place that I fell in love with, mm-hmm. quite honestly. And my wife, I met my wife there. Uh, we got married there. And my big idea was to stay there. Uh-huh. And that's where I was going to try to change the world. Um, you know, if you're going to change the world, you need a home base. Yeah. And that was going to be my home base. Well, that didn't exactly work out. And um, we ended up, I took a job on an island called San Salvador. Okay. Which is somewhat famous as the disputed landfall. That's where Columbus supposedly made first landfall mm-hmm. in the Americas. I took a job as the director of a field station on San Salvador. And after the first month or so, the guy who I was replacing was like, Mike, I don't think you're management material or director <laughs> material. Uh, you know, I like to just be out in front of people and uh-huh. leading classes and, you know, exploring. Yeah. But I needed to be like staying back at the field station, fixing trucks, making sure the, you know, the food orders were done. Yeah. That wasn't really my thing. So he says, you need to decide what you want to do. You know, you want to either be a director or if you want to get a PhD, go do that. So that's then I, after a short stay in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, working for an environmental consulting firm, Uh which just sort of solidified my feeling that I didn't want to do that. (laughs) Uh, I I went to Mizzou and I ended up studying birds in the West Indies. That was my research. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I, when it sort of became clear that going back to the Bahamas was not something that my wife really wanted to do, which sort of sounds confusing to people because they would think, why would she want to stay in Columbia, Missouri? Yeah. Because we all want to go to the Bahamas. But um, so she was like, eh, I really like, yeah. I like Missouri. I like the states. Cool. Uh, so I took the job at with the Nature Conservancy was uh, to work on essentially bird conservation in southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, so where I'm sort of going with this, Nathan, is you're 21 and you want to change the world, but you don't know how. Yeah. And then slowly through time, you know, sort of one thing leads to another and you begin to get closer and closer to figuring out how you might actually make your mark. Uh-huh. Um, there's a book that I just reordered the second edition of. It's called Soul of a Citizen, mm-hmm. Living with Conviction in a Cynical Time. <laughs> right, it's a mouthful. And there's I read nothing it. more that I love than being both cynical and having a heart full of conviction. And it was, I know. And it was by a guy named Paul Loeb. Okay. And I read it as a graduate student. And it was really important because in one of the, your, your, your interview with JP, uh-huh. you were sort of talking about how college towns are islands surrounded by, uh-huh. you know, the country. And one of the things that you said that a friend said to you that helped you sort of understand mm-hmm. that sort of country mentality was, hey, people just don't like. You know, country people sort of don't like city people telling them how to think. Yeah, that's it. Don't tell me how to think. And there's light bulbs that go off mm-hmm. when people say things like that. And it really is an epiphany a lot of times. Yep. So one of the things from this book, Nathan, was this idea that, you know, there's thousands of worthy causes mm-hmm. uh, in on the planet, in the world. But you can't just sort of stick a bunch of post-its on the wall and then close your eyes and throw a dart and go, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to try to give... 
homeless people's shoes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which would be a great thing to try to do, but it doesn't work that way. Like, you actually, the cause picks you more often than the, than you pick the cause. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I found that to sort of be the truth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, one yeah. thing leads to another, leads to another, and you end up in a place at a certain age where you actually know enough people and have enough experience to sort of people go, hmm, or, you know, you're the guy in the room with the gray hair. Let's, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> you must know something. Yeah. So that's sort of, I, I've, I've gotten to where I'm at in Carbondale, working on conservation issues, writing for the Southern, and I do a weekly thing with the Carbondale Times uh-huh. called On the Trail now. I've been do, writing a monthly uh, voiced uh, feature for WSIU for for a couple of years now too. So no, oh, okay, yeah, all right, yeah, I've, I've heard, I, like I've heard it, like I've listened to it. I mean, I'm an avid, uh, you know, uh, public Listener radio listener. So radio. like now, now it's all starting to like right. oh, click off. Like so, oh, Kevin okay. Boucher <laughs> gives me this great intro, you know, uh-huh. with his great radio voice, yep. and I come on with my sort of like. I don't know, not so such a great <laughs> voice that I've just sort of, and they've given me a platform. And that's another thing that would be, say, for instance, great about Carbondale. Mm-hmm. I, I can, I've got a, a, you know, I can get on the local public radio um, yeah. station and once a month sort of give my commentary. I couldn't do that in St. Louis. Yep. I'd have to have all kinds of, you know, I'd have to be all kinds of, you know, halfway famous and, mm-hmm. and, and, and. So, the other thing I think you figure out, Nathan, as you get older, is what you're good at. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you may not know what you're ultimately going to do, but you sort of keep going like, well, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at that. And so one of the things that I'm good at is talking Yeah. and writing. And, you know, I've been told that I don't sound like I have a Ph.D., mm-hmm. Which is a great compliment to Yeah, me. to anybody that has a PhD that's like talks way over people's heads. It's like, how do you Come make on. it digestible for somebody? Exactly. How do you impart? And I, and I remember one of the graphics that I've seen about, well, what is a PhD really? And it's like, here's your bachelor's degree. Here's your master's degree. And it's like, there's a little dot off your master's degree that's your PhD that's like your hyper-specialization within right. something. Right. Right. And it, it just, you know, it's it's hard to have a normal conversation with Joe Blow off the street about something that you're so you've literally sunk a, a life's worth of effort into understanding, like and being able to boil that into just basic conversational points that right. you and I can have. Like that's that's a skill. Right. So you've talked about Carbondale as a black hole in a loving way. In I a know loving you mean way, that. absolutely. Gravity. Black like, holes have gravity. That's the key to <laughs> And they pull you in. And I feel like, you know, again, one so one of the best compliments I ever got after I gave a talk to like the Columbia, Missouri Audubon Society, mm-hmm. somebody came up to me and said, well, you don't sound like you have a PhD. <laughs> and I was like, Great, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And the other compliment was sort of like my exit interview when I was leaving Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Uh, the director of the School of Natural Resources said, Mike, I've never met anyone like you. you know I mean, you are, <laughs> again, these sound like backhanded compliments. Yeah. You know, he's like, you are, uh, you know, you're a mile deep. You know what I mean? In a, you know, like that thing. You're an uh-huh. inch thick and a mile deep. Yep. You're not, and most PhDs are, you know, they're, they're like that wide but they go down forever like yep. uh you know like into a deep yep. hole i think that's another great like way to explain to people like what is really a phd 
That's uh, another it's way. It's drilling yeah. down. Yeah, and potentially getting lost there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't a... think you've been lost anywhere. Like I think you have always found yourself wherever you may be at any given point in time. You strike me as somebody that knows where you are. Well, <laughs> You know, there's a saying about that, right? Wherever you are, that's some version of that's where you are. So, yeah, <laughs> don't um, – yeah, I try not to take myself too seriously, and I'm interested in just about everything. Yeah. Ah, that's neat, man. That's like neat. stand-up comedy. I think that would be all I, – I, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that as a possibility. Uh, so, like, I want to have lots of experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and my bucket list is not – is full of experiences – I don't mean like skydiving or how do I want to say this? Like not because skydiving is experience, but like yeah. I want to have like a, an exhibit of my photography. Mm -hmm. Like I want to, I want to be in a national geographic magazine. So even if it's just like in the background, yeah. you know, I'd love to be, I'd love to, I'd love to do a, a, a open mic at a comic. Yeah. Not, you know what I mean? I'd love to do that kind of stuff. Because I'm not in my 20s anymore, Nathan. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, I think uh, Francis Bacon has this quote, like, I'll never be an old man because old age will always be, like, 15 years older than I am. <laughs> uh -huh. So, like, that's one of my pet peeves, even with, like, when I've done personal training. Mm -hmm. When I sort of took this shift towards wearing, being scantily clad on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> have you given up on being scantily clad? I have, no, you know, no, I have. I have. I have. Uh, <laughs> You do need to keep your clothes on for this particular interview. When I, I, I started that. lifting weights when I was 13 years old. Okay. And actually, I was a chubby kid. And, um, Me and too. I, no. <laughs> well, I was, I, you know, I was a chubby kid. Uh -huh. And this, I was a chubby kid in the 70s. Ooh, when being a chubby kid was not an easy you thing. You stood out. Uh-huh. You know, and um, so it was, so I have a soft spot in my heart, you know what I mean, for, mm -hmm. for, for chubby kids like that. And, um... So it was the summer, I don't know, between my seventh and eighth grade year, and I, I just lost, you know, I lost weight. Mm -hmm. And I got actually really skinny. Like, I think I might have had anorexia. I'm not mm -hmm. being, Facetious, not joking. Just, yeah. Me and my sister both had a eating disorder. My sister went on to have full-blown anorexia and bulimia <sighs> for years and years, and I started lifting weights. Mm -hmm. And that just sort of got me in a healthy zone as far as um, – you know, with my body and eating yeah. and, and treating it well. So I did bodybuilding contests as a, like a 15 year old. <laughs> this is like 1981. Right. I'm driving up to, you know, uh, Oh, one of those, those, those suburbs of Chicago, uh, you know, could uh, be Naperville could be. Yeah. Naperville. Yeah. It was far up. It was right on Naperville the, again until somebody gets it, it was no. <laughs> right on the, it wasn't Evanston, but it was somewhere up there. Anyways, yeah doing these bodybuilding shows, and um, I wasn't taking steroids or anything like that. I didn't even know what they were, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And uh, I don't have a great genetic structure, you uh -huh. know? I uh, So I never won any of these shows. and I But I wanted to be – that didn't stop me. I still wanted to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh -huh. okay? Because that's back when – So, yeah, back when that was like a big deal. What was it like being in that world when it was like – Top of mind, like when bodybuilding was the It was like thing. on ABC Wide World of Sports. They would like literally have bodybuilding shows. Like it was very mainstream. Um, I mean, you know, I was still in Belleville, Illinois. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> in Venice Beach. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm saying that to say that, and I was in the Midwest. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Like it wasn't, there wasn't much going on. 
Uh, I would have been calling it Bell Venice. I should, I'm you know, sorry. you're a you're a marketing guy. You know what I mean? I am, yep. Uh, I think some some of the people that I went to school with, you know, referred to as Bell Vegas. Oh but, yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, <laughs> so it was I like was doing this dead serious through like my first two years of college. Uh-huh. My son, who just started college, uh, he's in he's at junior college at Lewis and Clark. And he's playing baseball. He's trying to play baseball. No one's playing, any, you know, anything you know, right now with because of the of the pandemic. But mm-hmm. he was home for a week, and he's doing this. They're having to do this remote learning, and he was taking this biology class. And he's just sitting there vegging out and not paying much attention. I said, "Hey, after the class, for the record, I got to see." in general biology, my freshman year. <laughs> and I've, you know I mean? Like, so I do not expect you to get A's. Just get a C. Yeah. I mean, at least get a C. And I'm saying that to say, like, I wasn't a great student, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, coming out of the gate. I was focused on trying to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I go to, like, Mr. Teenage Illinois in 19, whatever it was, when I, when I was 19 years old, mm-hmm. and I get, like, fifth place. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm clearly not going to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so I better get serious about school, which is when I started to get serious about that. But um, so I was posing on stage back then. And then in my late 30s, I started to get the dad bod. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know what I mean? It was not looking so great. Uh-huh. It was one of those things where you get your, your license plate renewed. And you're like, and how, you're the how? same weight as you were, but it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's not distributed the same way. So I started working out again and, and, uh, that, you know, got my attention, you know, I'm uh-huh. sort of like, uh, flashing lights and, and to a certain extent and shiny things get my attention. Uh-huh. And so I did that for several years and I, and I competed and, um, you know, I got into great shape and, and, I worked with people and, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that health is wealth. And I mean, that's not mm-hmm. an exaggeration. And I mean, I think everybody's seeing that with the pandemic. I mean, yeah. you know, like the healthier you are, you know, the better off you are in, in, in general. So the question sort of was a little bit getting me started about conservation. And so I have sort of told that story. Mm-hmm. And then I've told the fitness story. And what's really interesting these days, Nathan, the, something that's got me excited is that intersection mm-hmm. between conservation and and sort of health. And and there's this new field of study coming out of Asia, and it's called something, I don't know, in Korean or Japanese, but it's called forest bathing. Okay. Have you heard about this? I sure have not, but I am all ears, my friend. <laughs> Well, it's just this idea. So they call it forest bathing, and it's forest therapy. But it's this idea that there's a lot of health benefits to being in the great outdoors. Yeah. Which we sort of already, you sort of, you go outside, you take a hike, you feel better. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we're still animals. Like, we're not necessarily meant to just live in houses all structured up. No. You know, electricity and this, that, the other thing. At the core of it, we're just mammals. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. I love that you say that because it's so true. Yeah. And evolutionarily and, you know, through all these millennia, like hundreds of thousands, millions of years, we've tuned into the, the you know, the natural environment. We've never been indoors. Yep. So one of the things that I'm doing in addition to sort of, you know, take off that hat and put this hat on and then change hats mm-hmm. is I'm really push, trying to push this idea of 
you know, turning Carbondale yeah. into sort of a hub yeah. for this whole idea of nature therapy. Awesome. Because we're in the middle of a beautiful mm-hmm. forest. We've got national, we've got state, we've got just private land to bound. It's, You're on it, man. You know, we have this great university mm-hmm. that has touch of nature mm-hmm. and the whole parks and rec, and not to mention just the whole physiology and kinesiology and the mm-hmm. forestry people. Oh, now I'm going to, now Phil Anton's going to watch this. I'm going to have to have him on. Next. Well, I love it. You know what I mean? This is why, like, you know, if, if it's, you know, I told James, my son the other day, I was like, y- you should always be doing something with this idea that, you know, you're trying to accomplish something. Uh-huh. So when you said, Hey, you want to do the interview today? I'm like, sure. Great. So I took about an hour. Okay. What am I going to try to accomplish yeah. here? And you know, I'm not trying to sell anything, yeah. but what points do I want to make? Because, um, because I, you know, I'm speaking to millions here, potentially tens of millions. Yeah, I'm sure. at least man, you know, we, the, we've, we've we've hit a thousand. I with saw video on Facebook so far. So I saw that. Even if that's just in ten second increment views, no, <laughs> no. But you know, so we really, and, and that's why I'm excited about your Creator Day mm-hmm. idea, because like you said, you want people from a lot of different areas, and yeah. I think that. This is a really exciting area. SIH, look there, Green Earth um, is a um, you know local land trust. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with it. It's just called Green Earth Incorporated. Yeah. It's yeah. been around since the 70s. Uh, is it 11 trails or pieces of property that Green Earth operates? I do you know? don't think it's that many. Maybe, maybe I, I'm way out. Maybe I was thinking like in general we have a number X number of parks including Green Earth. Right, properties. right. Because like Sorry. the Arboretum is not Green Earth, yeah. and you know Turley Park is not Green Earth, yeah. but you know, they've got Chautauqua Bottoms, and they've got this Oakland Preserve, and they have Fernlands Preserve, which Nathan Spiegel, uh-huh. Allie's husband, is the sort of caretaker of, the okay. volunteer steward for it. Mm-hmm. But they have one. Green Earth has a preserve called Brushlands, which is up the hill yeah. near... Um, Pleasant Hill. Is it, like, by the fire station on yes. Pleasant Hill? Brush, uh, Brush Hill Nature Preserve? Yes. Yep. But right across the street is a big rehab yep. uh, area. And what's I walked that Brush Hill several months ago, and they have some signage on that. So nature therapy, one of the things that nature therapy really, and being out in nature helps mm-hmm. us do, is sort of let this prefrontal cortex, it just gives it a break. Yeah. Because we don't, you know, nature sort of comes at you randomly. You're not, you don't know what, is hap- going to happen next. Mm-hmm. So you sort of just, you know, you, 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 you just chill out and you go sort of like monkey brain. Uh-huh. Um, and so there's a lot of mental health benefits uh-huh. for time spent outdoors. I mean, it lowers your blood pressure and literally your, there's a type of uh, cancer fighting, you know, boosts your immunity. I mean, it, there's a physiological mm-hmm. Benefit, there's physiological benefits of being outside, but the mental health benefits, even just getting into flow states. Uh-huh. Um, what getting into what? flow? What, what is which is sort of like, um, um, let me give you the example when you're in the zone, uh-huh. right? Where you're doing something like you could be editing, say, I don't know how much you do to edit these I podcasts, do zero, editing. okay? But <laughs> it is say a working raw, on it, say working dump. on your uh, a comedy, <laughs> yeah. 
a comedy. Oh, that's all. Um, I don't do much effort. Man, I don't put a whole lot of effort into anything I do. I just okay. do it and hope it sticks. But like it's gonna... <laughs> where I'm going with this is there might be something that you do where time flies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You're focused like a laser on one thing and time flies. Yep. And that's when you're, it's, you know, it's, that's a, that's the definition of, that's the example of a flow state. Okay. okay. Where you're just, right. you're not being constantly yeah. by bombarded, but your phone's going off and you're worried about some bill and you got, you got a deadline. And so this time outdoors is really great for your mental health. So listen, I'm thinking about all of these connections between mental health and the health benefits of being outside and these connections I want to make with SIH and in you know DNR and the Fish and Wildlife Service mm -hmm. and all these great and and SIU and I walk Brushy Hill and the derecho did a number on mm -hmm. that chunk of forest mm -hmm. knocked in 2008 right wasn't it ish Eight, nine yeah 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 and there's signage that says this is a recovering forest and literally right across the street is this place where people are trying to recover. Huh. from these all kinds of horrible things, you know what I mean? Yeah. A, lot, a lot of times that have happened to them where they've turned to drugs and other, you know, they, they, they were a lot of these addictions that fueled a lot of these addictions. And mm -hmm. I just thought the, the metaphor for this recovering <laughs> forest right across the street from this yeah. place where people are recovering and the ability for people to potentially go there and get that sort of... So that's, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps talking about when I just said that. But but that's, in addition to, look, I love birds. Uh -huh. I just, I'm a geeky bird watcher, <laughs> and I'm proud of it. You know, I mean, I'm the youngest person at almost every bird watching event I go to. And uh, which, you know, is fun when you're 55. Uh, to be the youngest person anywhere, you know, is, <laughs> is exciting. So I'm a geeky bird watcher, and... Um, and I'm out to hug a tree. Uh -huh. You know, my son and I were out in Colorado this July, and I hugged some trees. I still have, like, the resin stains on my shorts <laughs> from some tree-hugging incident. Oh, there um, was a whole incident. There was, was an incident. It was a thing. But, um, <laughs> but my wife's like, what's that stain on your shorts? I'm like, hey, it's resin from a tree-hugging incident. And she was like, likeliest of excuses. Right. I'm like, come on. Excuses. Um but, but like I said, and you have to be excited about things. Yeah. And that's what, you know, like when you stop being excited about things, you begin to slowly die. Yeah. And that's where I think I'm, you know, my reference to that Francis Bacon quote. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like when you stop being excited about stuff, that's when you start getting old. Yeah. And that's when you're just not, you know, interesting to anybody anymore. <laughs> and so I'm interested in a lot of things. But to right now that, that, that. Uh, intersection between mm -hmm. you know uh, an interest in in conservation and nature mm -hmm. and health and and the challenge of trying to get people who don't who aren't bird watcher geeks mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know um, do you know Jennifer uh, oh gosh the the naturalist at um, Giant City Jennifer uh, I'm just gonna say Jennifer I love her. <laughs> Because she has passion for the resource. Yeah. And I and I and there's so many people in the Forest Service down here that I just I'm so impressed with because they have this passion for the resource. And we've talked. They're actually gonna, we're gonna they're creating a, a forest therapy trail at Giant City. Are they really? Yeah, we're gonna uh unveil it 
this fall. So is it is it walking, horseback It's riding, walking. Just it's a short walking, walking trail. Okay. If you know anything about the trails at, at Giant City, it's the Post Oak Trail. Okay. And they've made it, you know, handicapped accessible. It's a beautiful little trail. We're just going to put some simple signage up there. But, that you know, to sort of prompt people mm-hmm. to stop and use your senses. That's a big part of where the therapy part of forest mm-hmm. therapy comes from. It's not just looking for birds or it's not just walking through the woods and mm-hmm. trying to get your 10,000 steps. It's taking time. It's it's hugging. It's touching bark. Yeah. You know, it's stimulating all your senses. You're not just your sight, which is normally what we do, but mm-hmm. you're hearing things, touching things, smelling things. So, so prompts to do that. But Jennifer, I love the people at the Forest Service the same way they're trying to get people involved and interested in, in the forest, but they, they're always going to the same people and trying to get them mm-hmm. put slight tweaks on. Well, how, you know, we're going to look at mushrooms yeah. this week, and then we're going to look, and it's the same 20 people that come to these things. So yeah. the question is, if you love nature and you know our mother is hurting, okay, yeah. how do you, we need more people to care. So how do you get more people to care? Um, and if you can sort of say like, hey, it's good for your health. Yeah. And I mean, not just like <sighs> sweating, but just literally going out in the woods yeah. and having a quiet moment is, is literally boosts your immunity, lowers your blood pressure, uh, helps your mental health. Mm-hmm. Like love, you know, love that about the woods, you know, and then maybe, you know, you'll see a bird and you'll, you know, you'll get turned on to it that way. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It was like, just get healthy. Then eh, if you get a bird, you get a bird. I mean, you know, it's, it's so key. You know, I, I, myself, I, I grew up in a space. So I, I've, I've been in Carpenter my whole life, but have, have always grown up like in the woods, right? We live just on the edge of town. A family owned all the land around that that type of stuff could just run through the woods uh, we've since sold all the land but that's neither here nor there i'm sure i can get somebody that knew my grandparents to come on and do the podcast i can bitch with them about this at a later point in time right <laughs> but uh you know and it's like i i used to spend so much time outdoors and and now i don't uh and like when i do actually go outside even for like a minuscule amount just into the backyard where it's kind of this this shotgun setup with an abundance of trees on either side and it just funnels me into nature. Like I even just standing at my, my uh, over the kitchen sink and just looking out into it and just absorbing like the feeling of nature, not the feeling of, well, here's this aggressive smell because I'm driving through town. I smell dust and I smell gas and I smell, you know, whatever. Or, you know, I, I hear, you know, the train or I hear, uh, you know, the conversation of others around me, or, you know, I see bright screens or I see bright lights. Right. It's all, you remove all that crap and it's decompression. And I, and I say that to say the value of that to, um, you know, specifically folks like my kids, I've got, I've got a son uh, who has diagnosed autism and a, and a stepson who just hasn't gotten the diagnosis, but we're working towards it. And because of what I know with my biological son, right. I know it with my stepson. It's like, that is a crucial component for them to be able to just understand themselves to go into nature as somebody who has a, a sensory disorder of any sort and to be able to disconnect from the assault on the senses that modern living is and decompress in nature, which is a natural presentation of existence to the body through the senses. Like 
That's. I mean, I, I would it. think that that it. would be amazing therapy for autistic. From what I think, mm -hmm. I might a little bit. I might know oh, yeah. like about autism is sort of like sensory overload, which yeah. is a big, and, and that's exactly what going into the woods takes you away from. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that you were saying, there's studies that have shown that people in hospital rooms that face a tree uh -huh. versus people that in a hospital room that faces a wall, the people in the hospital room that face a tree get out a day earlier. Just it, it's just like you said, it's just the window being yeah. able to see something green. Yep. There's a Forest Service study that I read about that I haven't tracked down that said in places where there's like um, tree mortality uh -huh. for various reasons, death, hu human death rates are higher. Like it's it's it, it yeah. makes nothing but sense because we came from the forest in the field mm -hmm. and we've removed ourselves from it. And again, like I'm, I'm not. The, I write, the, the column that I write for the Southern is called Real Green People. Uh -huh. And one, the reason I pitched it to Allie and I said, look, my one of my beefs against like in overly zealous <laughs> conservation people uh -huh. is that they're overly zealous conservation yeah. people. They turn people off. You're like, hey, I produced a thimble full of garbage this year. You know, you're like, mm -hmm. come on. I yeah. mean, like, don't be fanatical. Yeah. But be like in a place where approachable, approachable, uh, where it, right where word. people go. Okay, yeah. yeah, I mean, I can try that. And so it's not about living in a cave for two months to get you know forest therapy. Literally, you can go out for a short walk mm -hmm. anywhere outside, and it will benefit you. And then you know you can. Um, there's various levels of immersion, and of course, you know, uh, three days in the woods without your phone is great. Once a <laughs> month or once every three months, but you're not going to live in the woods. Yeah, it's just not the way it works. But to have a complete separation, it's like it's like this Fitbit or whatever that tracks your steps. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you're if you're not paying attention, like crap, I hardly moved at all today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that uh -huh. is so unnatural. And you could easily spend whole days, like in something like this, like and not see even a plant. Yeah. Like even plants indoors can help you. So um, it's very doable, mm -hmm. and it doesn't require, like I said, buying eight thousand dollars worth of camping gear. And you know what I mean? Like it's just go yeah. to Chautauqua Bottoms, go to the Arboretum, walk around Campus Lake. Well, that, and that's the thing about specifically Carbondale, right, is it, you don't just have to have the accessibility of a car or a bicycle or whatever else, that everything in this town is physically, like, you can access nature within, you know, walking distance. It's amazing. Have you ever been to Anchorage, Alaska? No, I, I sure have not. Right. So I have been, and the thing I remember about Anchorage is it's all right there. Yeah. Like, there's this great trail around the town, and you stand there and you're looking off into the mountains and the Chugash Mountains are and there's the blah blah blah. It's mind-boggling. And we're we're like that. Yeah. You know, literally, um, Touch of Nature is developing a a, a, a mountain bike trail. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm gonna be writing an article about that soon. But um and their vision is the executive director had this vision of creating this 30-mile trail. Mm -hmm. It's there are hardly any of these things, but it would be accessible. From town. Yeah. Like, you just ride your bike out to touch of nature and go on this thing. I mean, it's exactly. Like, you can, you don't have 
to drive somewhere very you don't have to drive very far yeah to see a stinking bobcat yeah like literally it's 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 you know again i'm bad I'm, example people don't want to see bobcats well, up you close. Know, like, i mean <laughs> i mean they're not gonna come after you you're right you're right, you're right. and i mean that's they're just not a mountain line no, that's just exact that's just an example of <laughs> you know the wild yeah awesomeness i mean i was a couple years ago, I was taking my son from the mall, and we were driving out to 51, uh-huh. and a bobcat just ran across the road. Yeah, I mean, how awesome is that? Yeah, that that that's that that's where we live. So I'm glad you sort of brought me back to that because, you know, again driving here, I'm like, okay, so I'll uh, you know I'll say how I got here, uh, yeah. you know what I love about Carbondale, yeah. and sort of like my vision. Yeah, for you know how I'm going to try to make this a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's what I love about Carbondale. I mean, like I've spent, uh, I just was smiling because you're sitting there going, does this guy ever no, stop? No, 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 This is, this is exactly what I want the podcast to be. I'm constantly monitoring, like just looking around, making sure my levels look good, right. making sure my timing's on point and, and other stuff. So anytime I'm looking away no, I got from you. me, I'm, trust me, I'm, I'm all ears. I got I am you. locked into this conversation. I got you. So <laughs> I have spent partly because of the pandemic and other stuff where you just can't go out that much. Yep. I've spent a lot of time watching birds in my backyard. This is actually a big next series of, of articles and things I want to talk about, mm-hmm. like backyard, creating like a backyard park. Yeah. Like it, um, appreciating your backyard park mm-hmm. and just sort of pointing out some of the really cool stuff in your backyard, even stuff that you see all the time, like lightning bugs or, you know, swallowtail butterflies and, and just digging a little bit and, and about how sort of like cool natural history facts about them. Yeah. I've seen almost 80 species of birds from my deck this month. Uh-huh. 80 species of birds, including bald eagles. Of course, you know what I mean? Like, we got bald eagles right in Carbondale. Yeah. You know, and these cool warblers mm-hmm. that are nest in Minnesota and are going to spend the winter in South America. On and on. On my deck. Uh, and I... Now that you say this, right, and again, because I've got a nice little rural two-acre chunk of right. land that's still just in town here, uh, you know, my wife saw an owl sitting on the solar panels last week, and uh, probably, I don't know, three months ago when I was out in the backyard, I mean, I got video of just a very large hawk and like a smaller bird, not like a not like a a blue jay or like a robin or whatever but like a not quite a hawk but definitely not a small bird okay right so big hawk like like and loud but like it was all white i don't, I don't know what it was so it was like the the smaller one was was like mostly blackish gray and the large one that was being the antagonist was white and really? i just watched them fly you have a video of this yeah yeah i'll show it to you, you didn't show it to me yeah I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, uh, if I got to figure out like a way to format in to where I can like pop stuff up and like do media on the screen if we need to reference it during the podcast. Right, but right. I'm not, but I'm not that. That's okay. <laughs> I'm not there yet. That's but, okay. Uh, but I'm working towards it. So, yeah. Like I, I don't think about this stuff, right? I'm, I'm not. You know, I don't keep a bird feeder, right? Or, you know, for hummingbirds or or a bird bath or whatever else like that. But like this just exists in my backyard. It does. You get massive treetops on either side, so I could see. The birds, they would fight, and then they would dip, and they would dive, and they would come back up, and then they'd be apart, and they'd dip and dive and just smash into each other. And it's like, I don't have any clue, but I'm interested. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something, because on 9-11, mm-hmm. 
I, I say we moved here in 2000, I think the summer of 2000. 9 11, 2001. Mm-hmm. I'm getting ready for work. Dun, 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 dun. Standing in my bedroom, and outside of the window is a big tulip poplar. Mm-hmm. It's called a tulip tree or yellow poplar. Anyways, and in that tree was a, an American red start. It's a little warbler that nests around here farther north, and many of them spend the wintertime in the West Indies. Mm-hmm. I've seen you know hundreds of them, maybe thousands of them, in the Bahamas and Puerto Rico when I was doing research down there. And I love these birds because I, they weigh, literally, Nathan, they weigh 12 grams, which one ounce is 27 grams. So, mm-hmm. like, they're fractions of an ounce. And these birds fly thousands of miles in the course of a year. And they have the good sense, many of them, to spend the winter in the Bahamas, which would be, you know <laughs> what I mean? That's my goal still. So do birds, okay, so yes. just a quick sidebar. Yeah. Do birds like that, can they just pick up, like, wind currents like I, I don't know what whatever whatever the wind cycles are for you know the earth we have giant sweeping wind God, i'm not this is no, something i'm okay. not very knowledgeable of so I just g- remember fluvial geomorphology yeah, right. <laughs> and you'll everyone will think you're you'll be impressed right. birds migrate they do they pay attention to the weather okay. and they they can tie into changing pressure barometric pressure okay because they do in any long flight you know, north or south, they want to ideally have tailwinds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't want to fly into storms. And so what will happen in migration is one day there might be a bunch of birds in the trees and the next they're all gone. Mm-hmm. And literally they left that night. Small birds will fly at night because the air is much calmer. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because the air gets turbulent when it heats up. Yep. So the night air is cooler because flying is pretty energy you know i mean you work up a sweat um and they can navigate by stars okay north and south so so a lot of these birds are tying into weather will fly at night and they navigate at least generally north and south by stars and, and things like that but they will end up nathan they can end up in the same place an area the size of this stage. Mm-hmm. When I was studying these birds in Puerto Rico, which is uh, and particularly a prairie warbler, which is again a little t- nine gram bird, I would ca- I would put up nets for these things. Mm-hmm. That's how you catch little birds and put <laughs> bands on them, uh-huh. aluminum bands on their legs, and then little plastic combinations of color bands. Mm-hmm. So that if you see them again, you don't have to catch them. You can identify them by their color band combination. I would catch the same bird in the same spot from one year to the next. So that means that that bird was there in the wintertime, went back to somewhere mm-hmm. in the States, and came back to that exact same place. Yeah. Which, you know, like, we, we can't, we have a hard time, you know, with GPS yeah. telling us where to go to get to a place. So it's amazing. But anyway, the story is, so I saw this red start, and it just took me, I love migration, if mm-hmm. you can't tell yeah um and i thought about the west indies and 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 some place you know times that i've spent in in great places so i'm driving to work long story short people are flying planes into buildings Mm -hmm. 
And the news people are saying the world as we know it will never be the same. You know, it's pretty ominous yeah. thing to say, and it probably was true. But I thought, you know what? For that Red Star, nothing's changed. Yeah. It's going to spend the winter, maybe in Puerto Rico, maybe in the Bahamas, maybe in Mexico. It's going to fly back. And American Red Stars have been doing that through world wars, depressions, pandemics. And to me, I'm getting goosebumps again. <laughs> that always helps ground me because we can get caught up in this idea that we're so important. Yep. And, um, and it's good to be reminded that there's a cypress tree in the Cache River wetlands area that's 1,000 years old. Mm -hmm. It was 500 years old when Columbus landed on San Salvador. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, we're just here for this short amount of time, and the stuff that really stresses us out, in the end, when you go hug one of those big trees, your blood pressure lowers and you get grounded. So listen, a couple days ago, a golden-winged warbler pops up in my backyard. I don't think I've ever seen one of these things. It's one of the more endangered little songbirds. There's maybe only 400,000 of them left, which sounds like a lot, but that's not that many. Nests in Minnesota, and it spends the winter in, like, Central America or Northern Central America. And it's just in my backyard. <laughs> Just fueling up, you know, getting yeah. ready to a couple days from now, take another hop and then another hop and then another hop. Um, and so I'm driving. I was driving somewhere that morning, and the fires out west mm -hmm. are worse than they've ever been, and they'll, you know, and they're just getting worse. And of course, there's hurricanes in the Gulf, mm -hmm. and a lot of this, of course, is the severity and the extent of these things is tied to climate change. I mean, mm -hmm. it's getting warmer. We know that. And it's depressing. But that golden wing warbler was in my backyard. And in a couple, in a month or two, it was going to be somewhere in central Central America doing its thing. And it was going to come back. And that, I just got goosebumps again. That is what, I love and was so therapeutic to me, you know, about those connections with little birds or whatever you're connecting with. That that reminder that, you know, these birds and these trees and a lot of this stuff has been around for a long time. And some of the stuff that really stresses us out as humans is just sort of like, you know, a couple of uh, growth rings on that th thousand year old cypress. That's exactly for some people that may shake them right to think I don't have the control over my life like I like I want to like I, all I am is just part to this much larger system than I'll ever be to me it's a little bit more comforting right because it's like nature will always prevail that's no excuse to pollute and to litter and to whatever because oh I can just treat it like trash because nature will overcome it but like at the end of the day you know whatever that day may be millions of years from now billions of years from now that nature will find its way through us and the damage that we may do to it. And I think that I agree that it's comforting. And I, and I feel like, you know, there's a couple of books by this guy named Daniel Quinn. And I don't know if you're familiar with them. You're, you you sh shouldn't be. I mean, this is not your area. But a book <laughs> called Ishmael, 
and a book called The Story of B, mm -hmm. the letter B. And um, the point sort of is, uh, oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> the, um, the point is that, um, yeah, we're, our goal should be, we need to really be worried about saving the planet as human habitat. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Because yep. there's a lot of stuff that'll be fine when we, you know, when we're gone. But you got kids, I got kids, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to have grandkids. Our goal is to really save the planet as human habitat. Yep. You know what I mean? Because we're not going to, no matter how bad we screw it up, there's going to be some stuff that, there's going to be, you know, some stuff that survives. But it's going to be a cruddy place to live, mm -hmm. potentially. A much cruddier place to live than it has been for a long time if we don't start you know, doing better. So, so like it can be comforting to know that, you know, life will go on after, you know, we, you know, we seem hell bent on just, you know, driving ourselves to the brink, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but, you know, hopefully we'll be able to turn the ship. And, uh, and if we don't, I mean, there'll be birds <laughs> Still There'll still be birds migrating, you know, <laughs> over over top of us as we have <laughs> over the top of our houses as they all begun to be. You know, there's that. There's a book called the The World Without Us, and it's uh -huh. this idea that you know, look at Chernobyl or something like mm -hmm. that. When you just back away from that, yep. you know, 50 years later or ish, yeah, you know, things are just being grown over and nature is taking over. So and and. Fukushima. Uh, I know NPR did a piece on Fukushima here just last week, I think, uh, and it's you know very very similar concept. Now, granted, there are there are some components of the fact that there has been a nuclear meltdown there that will, you know, obviously change some aspect of the the animals there or whatever it may be in terms right. of their uh, their molecular structure. But like nature will find its way to grow back over it and reclaim the ground which we have scarred. There's a great book by Kurt Vonnegut, and I'm not like a big literature guy, but uh -huh. it's called Galapagos. And the premise is, Nathan, that uh, this group of people come together somewhere in Ecuador. You know, that's the, like, stepping-off point if you're going to go to the Galapagos. Mm -hmm. And they're this sort of interesting collection of people from all over the world. And um, they go out to some island, and they get stranded meanwhile back on the mainland something happens and humans basically go you know the they go extinct <laughs> so the only people some of the only people that are left because they avoided what was happening on the mainland it was like mm -hmm. a big fertility decline okay were these people on this island and so the book sort of ends there but then the last chapter goes back to this island a million years later and the people have essentially become marine mammals of sorts mm -hmm. because they've had to adapt to their environment. And so the point is life oftentimes will go on. You know what yep. I mean? And we, you know, my personally, I like it the way I sort of like this. I like tigers mm -hmm. and polar bears and golden warblers and all, a lot of the stuff that we have. And I want to, you know, work hard 
to try to keep them around. You're not trying it, to figure out what the new thing is that evolves next. <laughs> you're, you're, you're perfectly pleased. With the I way like what we have here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't, we need to get in a time machine necessarily and, you know, go a million years in the future. I don't want to. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, I would say this, you know, to, to bring it back to, so what can we do, right? Living with conviction in a cynical time, you know? <laughs> Um, I think that we can all do something yeah. and we can't, we shouldn't throw darts at all the post-it notes on the board. There's something that, you know, what you're doing is potentially going to just catalyze a bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. And you may not be saving tigers, uh, but you're doing your thing and mm -hmm. you're, you're part of the deal. And, and as part of this real green people article series that I, I just reach out to people who are real people. Uh -huh. They're just doing cool stuff. Um, and I say sort of like, what are you, what makes you hopeful? So Stephanie Eicholtz, to bring it back yeah. in a way to Green Earth, she's the executive director of Green Earth. And I did my feature on her recently. And I say like, what makes you hopeful? Um, because without hope, you know what I mean? You got to have hope. And so I think that for me, what makes me hopeful is young, smart people who are trying to save the planet. Yeah. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of them. Um, and you know, we are all sort of trying to, you know, turn the ship together. And that's the only, that's the only way you do big things, yep. you know, like, and, and so, so that makes me hopeful. Um, one of my favorite all time quotes is a Margaret Mead quote. She was a female anthropologist. She said, never doubt, the power of a few concerned citizens to change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And I think that's sort of what you're proposing to do with Create create Dale. Yeah. I mean, that's what Carbondale Springs trying to do. Yeah. I mean, that's what anybody who's trying, Jessica... Ali? No, uh, Jessica... Lynn. There you go. She's Thank with... New school, um, not new school, but she's with uh, Libre Unschool. A mm -hmm. uh, young woman in town who's trying to, who said, you know, the, the, the answers aren't coming from the top. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we have to start changing things from, you know, you, you, you. Let's get together and change things. And I think that's, to me, what's exciting, you know, and what, and what gives me hope. And what's exciting about Carbondale is we can do that. Yep. We can create, like, these this community that's, relatively self-sufficient in food and we have all this cool creative people and we've got smart people who are creating drones in their apartments <laughs> you, you you reference somebody who did that like we can do this mm -hmm. we could create a really it's already cool but now we, we can make it be workable we can really create something special yep ah you nailed it that's it that's how you end a podcast right there, my friend. Mic drop. Bam. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, episode four is in the books. Uh, special thanks to uh, my first guest that I had no connection to. Uh, my first, I, I, I don't, my first introductory guest. I, I don't, I'm going to have to find the right way to describe, uh, you know, interviewing somebody who I've never met before, but Mike was that first person and we'll find a way to describe him at a later point in time. Have a good one, everybody. Take care.